Have any of you ever heard of the Fermi Paradox? There's a book that has been written by a chap called Steven Pinker. Has anybody heard of Steven Pinker? He's kind of doing the rounds at the moment. He's a philosopher. And this is a book that he's written called Enlightenment Now. And there are just a few interesting things here that I want to share with you. If there's anything the Enlightenment thinkers had in common, it was the insistence that we energetically apply the standards of reason to understanding our world and not fall back on generators of delusion like faith, dogma, revelation, authority, charisma, mysticism, divination, visions, gut feeling, or the hereneumatic parsing of sacred texts. A humanistic sensibility impelled the Enlightenment thinkers to condemn not just religious violence, but also the secular cruelties of the age, including slavery, despotism, executions for frizzless offenses such as shoplifting and poaching, and sadistic punishments such as flogging, amputations, impalements, disembowelments, breaking on the wheel, and burning at the stake. Now, if you think about those kind of things, some of these things are still currently happening, and this is in our not-too-distant past. We're talking 50, 70, 80, 100 years ago, where this was the depth of our understanding is... If you break the rules and you break the laws, the punishments are severe. If you get caught stealing, chop your hand off. Get flogged. If you were suspected of any kind of funny behavior, getting burned at the stake. These were the rational thoughts of the time. If I'm not mistaken, there was one way to detect if somebody was a, a witch or not, and that was to hold the person underwater. And if they drowned, they were a human, and if they didn't drown, they were a witch. So this was the depth of our logic, of our reasoning, of our understanding of how the world worked. Let me just start at the beginning. If we think about the planet and what it would take to end all life on this planet... We have the hydrogen bombs, and we have many of those as humans stored around the planet. We have many atomic bombs stored around the planet. You just take one little look at Chernobyl, or look at that disaster in Japan, where that power plant went into a meltdown, and you see what it does to people and to the whole surrounding environment. So if you start dropping Atomic bombs, left, right, and center, it's going to be a cataclysmic, uh, world-changing, life-ending, life will become extinct. If our planet was to be hit by an asteroid, or a comet, or a meteor, as far as I can understand these things, that as a result of the gravity of, of our sun, that we largely protected from being hit by asteroids and meteorites. Also the fact that 
where we situate in the Milky Way is a little backwater where there isn't that much activity, there isn't that much going on. So in terms of world-ending events, probably some kind of nuclear holocaust is the, the, the most realistic one. Also, if something happens to the moon, if something was to hit the moon out of orbit. So my understanding of where the moon comes from is that an asteroid hit Earth and that a chunk of Earth was dislodged and put into orbit around the Earth. So this ties into the, the point of the discussion. If the moon is not rotating and you guys that are sitting here are not aware that the moon doesn't rotate. That's something that you see every day. That's something that you have general knowledge about. The moon impacts on the tides. Something that the moon does is it makes sure that we stay on our axis. Because if the moon wasn't there, the earth would be, would be wobbling much more severely than it already is because it does... The axis does move like that, but the moon keeps it stable. I didn't know that the moon didn't rotate. Now, that means that we see the same side of the moon every time that we look at the moon. The point that I'm trying to make of that is that there is something glaringly obvious that we see every day that is staring us straight in the face. That generally people are unaware of that they don't think about how does it impact on our day-to-day -day lives i think it's quite fascinating i think it's very interesting does it have any impact on me i suppose if the moon was spinning around on its axis earth would be doing different things so i suppose it would impact on me but generally it, it doesn't really now let's say that we don't destroy ourselves in a nuclear holocaust that Donald Trump doesn't blow us all up or King Jong-un doesn't press the big red button and we got to survive on this planet for another thousand years. What would our life look like? Because those things that I mentioned in the, in the beginning, we're talking a hundred years ago, 120 years ago, where that was fairly common practice and how far we've come in a hundred years and how far we've come in 20 years. 20 years ago, there were no cell phones. And when cell phones came out 20 years ago, you had the Motorola flip phone, which was a huge brick thing that had a massive cradle that you used to pop it in to charge it. And you needed a special attachment to put on your belt to hang the thing. Now you can play any game imaginable on your phone. It has a video camera. You can very, very easily operate your own YouTube channel with a phone. Make videos, upload videos, pretty much anything that you want. I've done some recording on my phone that's phenomenal. The sound quality is great and the picture quality is awesome. It can very, very easily be done. So. If we're looking at, at what has happened in 20 years and we look at the 20 years prior to that, 20 years prior to that, communism was still a thing. The Iron Curtain was still 
up the cold wall was still raging. Ronald Reagan was still in the political spheres, you know, so we've got 20 years and then we've got, a, got another 20 years. Where are we as a human race going to be in a thousand years? I mean, what we're talking about here now is you have a guy who plows a field and there's another guy pulling the plow. Right? And that happens for hundreds of years before they figure out that they can put a cow in front of the plow or a horse in, in front of the plow. You're talking long, long, long periods of, of time. What do you think it is that precipitated that? So I'm talking the Industrial Revolution because that's where things really started changing. Things started changing in, in the, 18, the late 1800s, 1900s. So what do you think it was that precipitated that change? So I, I don't speak with any authority on this, but... I'm thinking the printing press. And the printing press, the first thing that was printed was the Gutenberg Bible. And the Bible was pretty much the only book that was in publication for many, many, many hundreds of years. And all the knowledge of the world, everything that you needed to know came out of that and nobody could read. If you think of the impact that the printing press has on the dissemination of information and people's ability to read and to share information with each other. Because if we're looking also at the, the last 20 years, and, and I really am putting things together here, so it's, it's just a debate really. Uh, the internet. How much has our life changed as a result of freedom of information? So are we the only life in the universe? It took 3.8 billion years for life to develop on earth from crawling out of the volcanic areas in the in the ocean and they say that the galaxy is 13.8 billion years old right so life on earth isn't even a third or, a, or a, possibly a quarter been around a quarter of the time that they propose that the galaxy has been in existence The way that, that science looks at these things, they estimate that the universe will achieve heat death in something like 10,000 billion years, that the universe will extinguish. All the sources of energy will have been depleted. There's the, the scientific method. The scientific method can be applied, I believe, by anybody on any set of circumstances. What the scientific method proposes is that you can come up with absolutely any theory that you like. 
any theory that you like. But then the onus is on you to prove it to be true. Which makes complete sense because otherwise then you're just speculating and throwing out ideas and beliefs and operating on belief systems as opposed to uh, reason. Now, thinking back to, to the opening of, of what we were talking about there, we as humans have had some very, very, very bizarre beliefs. Things that uh, Galileo was nearly put to death because he proposed that the earth is round. But the belief was so entrenched and so strong that the earth was flat because you can see that it's flat. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, with commitment and dedication, believed in something that was not true and that had no basis in reason and was not provable. So, so these things are, they are very interesting to, to talk about and, and are very interesting to debate. But how much of this stuff is based on fact and how much of this is proposed theories and ideas which are awesome. But can you prove it? Outside of that, it's just an idea. I, I want to just go back to the Fermi paradox. Now, the Fermi paradox is quite a well-known theory. And the Fermi paradox proposes that the reason that we haven't been visited by other species is because for life to exist is extremely difficult and extremely hard and very, very rare for all the circumstances to come together and to fit together for life to be present. So I'm not making an argument against life on other planets. I am making an argument for life to be present. It's extremely rare and very, very hard. Look at the circumstances surrounding our planet. We're the correct distance away from the sun. We have the moon. Our planet rotates. Our sun is the, the right temperature. Where we are located is very quiet. So we don't have Halley's comets coming directly at us. Where if you think along the lines of the, the dinosaurs, the proposition there is the reason that the dinosaurs are extinct is because of a comet that struck Earth, the life-changing event. I mean, there's a good argument for life being a very rare occurrence in the universe. So let me put forward this comparison and the, the point that I'm, I'm trying to make is in the environment that you guys are in, witnessing the things that you witness here 
in the treatment center. How many people become conscious and become aware and see their circumstances for what they truly are? Now, I'm putting forward the idea that it is extremely difficult for that set of circumstances to happen. Or else it would be happening. We would have a 10 out of 10 success rate. Everybody would be walking out of here and they would be walking out here sober and live their life happily ever after. But that's not how it works because it's so extremely difficult. And look at some of the experiences that you guys and that your housemates are going through. And look at how torturous those experiences are in the pursuit of understanding, enlightenment, to see, to gain perspective. So this is the idea that I'm putting forward. Not whether there is life on on other planets. It's a, that's, a, that's an interesting, it's an interesting idea. And this is still a theory. The, the Fermi paradox is an idea, one of the ideas that have been put forward as to why the universe is not teeming with life. And it also bears consideration that Earth is a pinprick in the observable universe. What are the chances, you know, of other life even hitting Earth? Yeah. And this is why I wanted to, to talk about this stuff specifically, and I'm going to have to end with this. In the 16th century, they believed in spontaneous generation, which is that mice spontaneously generated in hay. This was the belief that people had. They have been able in a vacuum to spontaneously generate amino acids, which are the building blocks of life. We all understand that there's a reproductive cycle that takes place which is why there are mice that grow in, in hay. But there was this firm belief. I mean, the plague was because of fleas, but people didn't understand and were unable to see. So, how much effort and what steps are we taking to understand the circumstances that we are faced with and to gain some perspective and some understanding, enlightenment, consciousness, awareness. And I'm not talking about consciousness just as an accident of life or just because we're in the right spot at the right temperature, consciousness. How do we achieve that? And is it something that we can prove? Is it something that can be taught? Is it something that can be learned?
or is our thinking all that there is?